You have to stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. Wherever you are in our weekly sessions, we're going to discuss topics that are important to you as a leader. And today's session is going to be about remote leadership. This show is for anyone who believes continuous learning is part of their leadership journey. Each week, we're going to take a deep dive, and our specific topic today, as I mentioned, is the long-distance leadership. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with our guest, Wayne Termel, from the Remote Leadership Institute and the author of The Long Distance Leader. First, let me extend a warm welcome to Wayne. Thank you for taking the time to share your insights with us, Wayne. Uh, My absolute pleasure, Tom. Happy to be here. And I appreciate it. So... Wayne, tell us a little bit about the work you have with Kevin in the Remote Leadership Institute and why you wrote the book, The Long Distance Leader. Yeah, I guess we should probably start with who the heck is Kevin. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Eikenberry is, uh, for 25 years, has been one of the leaders in the leadership field. He's the author of Remarkable Leadership and Bud DeBoss and a number of things. And he and I knew each other through my podcast, ironically. Uh, years ago, we met and we're looking for a way to work together. And Kevin and I, uh, he bought my company. I had a company that specialized in online communication, uh, virtual presentation skills, leading virtual meetings, doing webinars, that kind of thing. And he had his leadership training. And over the last few years, he was getting a lot of requests for, yeah, this is great, but I don't work with my team, right? People are scattered all over the city, the country, the world. And I was getting a lot of requests for more leadership type training. And so it made sense for us to bring our talents together. And so he purchased my company and we created a new division of his company called the Remote Leadership Institute, which really is designed to kind of demystify this whole working remotely thing. How do you become an effective leader when you're not face-to-face with your team. And then because we had both written multiple books in the past, kind of made sense for us to come together on this one. And thus was born the long distance leader rules for remarkable remote leadership. Fantastic. You know, and the way things are going today, I'm sure we're going to have a more and more of a need for remote leaders um, just because people like to work from home. Um, but before we get into the details of remote work and remote leadership. Uh, I want to go into your book. You started with something that's uh, important to me and and I'm sure important to everybody out there listening. And that is, you shared a story about the the asking the NASA scientists, what was more complex, rocket science or leadership? Tell us what uh, you you relate in that book, in that chapter. Yeah, that was actually uh, Kevin. Uh, That was actually a Kevin anecdote. And you know, he basically said, oh, we always say, huh, it's not rocket science. But what is, you know, and, and the answer was essentially that actually science is easier. Uh, if you plug the numbers in, you are going to get the same answer every time. 
as a leader, <laughs> you know, if you take person A and person B and you treat them both in exactly the same way and say the exact same thing to both people, odds are you will not get the same result. Uh, one of you will land on the moon and one will decidedly not. I, I know that I had my own conversation with somebody at a Silicon Valley company once, basically the same thing, and they said uh, code is easier than people because code does what you tell it to do the first time and you don't have to ask how the kids are. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, leadership is can be a challenge, and uh, but it's a it's a happy challenge, or I enjoyed it, and I and I so, certainly hope everybody out there feels the same way. And if not, we want them to feel that same way. So, one of the things you did talk about in that chapter was the importance of responsibility, and I want you because this is many of the listeners are into what I'm into, and that is servant leadership and just taking care of your people. Can you tell us about responsibility and what do you mean by the dark side of servant leadership? Um, servant leadership, as you know, comes from a place of it's not about me, it's about them, right? It, it, it's about the other people. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And why would we not want to do that? And it's easy to kind of look at the positive side. And, and like a lot of leadership training, quite frankly, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and... <laughs> It's real easy to fall into the platitudes and everything's good and we get. But one of the challenges when it's all about other people is it ceases to be about us. On the surface, that sounds like a good thing, right? But it also means that we don't always take care of ourselves. One of the traps that servant leaders fall into, and this is especially a problem when you're working across time zones and and things like that is that we don't take care of ourselves to the point where we're constantly taking one for the team. Uh, if somebody has to be up, you know, at four o'clock in the morning for a conference call in London, it's going to be you. If, you know, you're scheduling your one-on-ones and you've got somebody in Singapore and that person is only available at 11 o'clock at night, you're going to schedule that call for 11 o'clock at night because you're a good person and you're trying to make it easy for the other person. But by the way, you, did we mention you were on at four o'clock in London? Mm -hmm. And and so you're not taking care of yourself. And leaders of remote teams are more prone to burnout, feelings of isolation, um, not taking care of Wellness is a soft and mushy word that makes me crazy. You know, they start talking about self-care and all that stuff. And it's true. <laughs> you know, if you're giving up your walk with the dog or your time at the gym and you're doing that constantly, mm -hmm. it is over time going to wear on you. Just physically, it's going to be a problem. Mentally, you're just constantly sacrificing. And it's not that we shouldn't sacrifice. It's that if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't learn to set boundaries, appropriate boundaries, it will wear on you over time. And, and we're seeing this a lot with the leaders of long distance teams. Um, I went through it myself. I went through a period back when I was gainfully employed uh, with a, a, a company and I was leading a team of 20 some odd trainers 
around the world. And I was putting some pretty heavy demands on them. And somebody was complaining about something I was asking them to do. And I said, well, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. And I remember she looked at me and said, yeah, exactly what is it you wouldn't do? <laughs> because I was doing some insane things. I was, right. you know, right. flying 36 combined hours return to go to Brazil to teach a one-day class and back. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing all of these things that, you know, this is what the job is, by golly, and I'm going to do it, and I wouldn't expect you to do something I wouldn't do, and I was making unreasonable demands on me. Right. So it didn't take much to realize I was making unreasonable demands of other people. Exactly. So let's, let's piggyback from that. Um, I track my time and you know how much I spend each day. And so based on what you just said, in order for an individual as the remote leader to be able to take, uh, to keep balance in their lives, mm -hmm. what do you suggest they do if they're gonna be spending two hours speaking in uh, time zone A and two hours speaking in time zone B? How do, how do you communicate that, hey, block your time so that you limit yourself to how many hours per day? Go ahead and talk about that, please. Yeah, I, I mean, it's different for everybody. And let's be honest, if I'm an accountant and it is the end of March going into the beginning of April, there's just going to be some long days because it's coming up on tax time and there are deadlines and you are not going to have your own time. That's just the reality of the business. Fair enough. Come the beginning of May, right? <laughs> you need to take some of that time back. Um, I work on the West Coast, which is interesting because I just moved here from Chicago. I moved to Las Vegas from Chicago. And most of my clients, most of American business is 9 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. That's where I am. <laughs> and what that means is Wayne is up early in the morning. That's fine. I'm an early bird. It's, it's perfectly yeah, fine too. with me. But what that means is... I have actually scheduled my workday kind of to East Coast time. So yeah, I'm online at six in the morning or five in the morning if I'm talking to somebody in London, but I am then aware that my day will end at two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And you set boundaries. A and I set boundaries, which by the way was years learning and did not come easily. Right. Um, the other thing is that I have gotten okay, and this took a while, you know, my good Baptist upbringing is full of enough guilt that uh, once my day started, there was no way I was going to take an hour out in the middle of the day to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Because that's, you know, what is that? That's prime working time. But I need an hour to go to the gym. I know it doesn't look like it, but... <laughs> I need, you know, that's time that I need. It's a mental break. It's a physical break. It has to do with my well-being. And so if I'm, you know, if I'm up at five in the morning and I know that I'm going to do an honest day's work and I'm going to put in X number of hours, I've gotten to the point where I'm okay going on Slack or sending an email to the team and saying, I'm out for the next hour. You know, I've got my phone with if you need me, but I'll be back at two o'clock or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think and we all, discipline. 
Yeah, and I think we all learn that over time, and uh, and especially for younger managers who are just eager and wanting to to do everything. It's it's great advice because otherwise you will burn yourself out. And it's well, it's funny a marathon, say, not a sprint. Right. Well, go ahead. It's funny that you say you will learn that eventually. There are a lot of people who don't. No. Oh. Well, we got to help them with that. <laughs> we don't want them to burn out. We want them to be. We do not. Great leaders. Well, look, let's take a step back and um, tell me a little bit about the uh, the difference between remote leadership and virtual leadership. And what's a typical makeup of a remote team? Part-time, full-time, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because we are now just starting to get, uh, people are now starting to study this. Um, remote work. And is, I've been reading some fascinating articles. <laughs> yeah, there, there's been a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, remote work basically means people are remote. The, the team exists, but Bob is in Dallas and Sally is in Denver. And, you know, there is a core uh, team. People reporting structures are traditional reporting structures and the like. Just people happen to be in other locations. Mm -hmm. uh, virtual teams are a complicating factor. Virtual teams are much more matrix. Project teams, for example, right. are largely virtual where it's like, I, and, and this is a challenge for leaders, is you know, you're on my project team, but you have a real boss somewhere that right. you're answering to, mm -hmm. right? So as the project leader, I have all the responsibility of making sure that I get your contributions and, and I get everybody's pieces, but you've got a boss who's saying, why are you spending so much time on that? Or, hey, I really need you to help me over here. Mm -hmm. And so we may have issues of priority. And, and so while most virtual teams have a remote component, it's kind of one is physical distance and one is psychological and structural dif difference is probably the easiest way to put this. And there's an assumption, because this isn't complicated enough, there's an assumption that it's a binary situation, right? Either your people are remote or they're not. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's not the case. Uh, over 70% of teams are what we call hybrids, where you've got some people who might work remote full-time and some people in the office every day, and then you've got a third group of people who work from home two or three days a week. Mm -hmm. And that can play havoc with your team dynamics, the flow of information. Uh, I remember, and, and, and I call this stealth telework, mm -hmm. where this stuff has just kind of snuck up on us because nobody planned for it. Right. You know, it starts with, boy, I really want to hire Bob, but, you know, he works a long way from the office and, you know, his territory is somewhere else anyway, so we're going to let him work from home. And then, you know, somebody says, hey, my wife is getting transferred to another part of the country, but I really like working with you guys. Can I keep my job? And we say, yes, you're valuable. I don't want to lose you. Right. And before you know it, the best example, there's a, a big international company. Uh, a friend of mine used to be the head of training there, and I was walking through her office, and she was saying, you know, I, I really like what you and Kevin are doing, but we uh, are a work-from-the-office kind of company. We don't have remote workers. You mm -hmm. know, we don't have teleworkers and the like. And as I'm walking through her office, and it's a big cube farm, and there's a million desks there, 
and half the desks are empty. <laughs> I wonder why. And and it's not that it's not that they aren't assigned to somebody. There's you know pictures of the cat and the sad right. birthday balloons that are starting to sag and all that stuff. But there's nobody sitting at the desk. And I said, where the heck is everybody? She's like, oh, so-and-so is in Salt Lake today, and so-and-so is over here, and so-and-so's got a sick kid. And I just went, tell me how you don't have remote workers. Mm -hmm. If the work is not happening right here at these desks, you've got remote workers. <laughs> and there's a set of challenges that you better be prepared to deal with. Exactly. And, you know, funny, my wife happens to be a remote worker and it's just the, the sign of the times. That, that's the way change is happening. It's been happening for at least a decade or so from my well, personal it's, perspective. It's been happening longer than that. I mean, Genghis Khan ruled half the known world and never held a WebEx meeting. <laughs> so as a matter of fact, it's been going on for a very, very long time. Sure, sure. Uh, it has certainly picked up steam over the last 10 years. Uh, you know, Jim Cousins, who wrote the Leadership Challenge, excuse me while I drop a name, uh, Jim and I were, were chatting one day, and we came to the realization that actually we're going back. A hundred years ago, very few people went to work. Um, well, mm -hmm. more like 150 years ago, I guess, to be fair. Um, you know, the blacksmith worked above the, lived above the shop. Mm -hmm. And you didn't leave the house and go to work and come back, pretty much everybody worked at home. And it was only with the advent of the Industrial Revolution and such that the idea of the office or working away from, you know, a, a second location became a thing. And we're kind of coming back to it. And it's going to make some really interesting social changes, I think, as well as just business changes. Sure. Now, before I ask you my next question, I, I want to give the audience the opportunity to dial in. If you have a question, dial 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 866-472-5790. We'd be happy to take your questions. So let me continue. What would you say are the biggest worries for remote leaders? Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, it depends whether they're good leaders or not, right? Good leaders worry about different things than poor leaders do. Um, you know, the biggest one is, what are they doing? And they're not asking, are they working? Right. Their bosses are. Like, if you talk to the VP of a large company and talk about teleworking, he'll talk about, well, you know, we have to make sure that they're working and that we're getting value for our time and blah, 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 blah. If you talk to the manager of those people, uh, they'll tell you that those people are working. Because they know what's getting done. They, they know what's getting done. They right. know their people. They, so they're less concerned that people are quote unquote working, but they don't know what they're working on. They don't know is, you know, is, is Wayne um, doing okay? Mm -hmm. Is he struggling? Does he have questions? Does he have the information he needs? Uh, you know, those types of questions. The other thing is it's not so much are they working, it's what are they working on. Mm -hmm. One of the unintended consequences, and, you know, proving statistics can be used for good or evil, right? Of course. There was a Harvard, there was a Harvard Business Review study, and they said, are, you know, people who work away from the office 
working? Are they more productive? Mm -hmm. And they came back and said, yes, people who work away from the office are more productive and get more done. And that sounds like a beautiful thing. And all the telework evangelists went, ah, you see, we told you, let people work from home and they will. But there were a couple of things. Again, okay. you know, the dark side. I read that. Number one, is, one, number one is, what are they working on? Mm -hmm. And what they found is people who work from home tend to be much more task focused. They get the tasks done. Right, right, right. Little less focused on reaching out to the team, collaborating, things like that, because people tend to focus on what they're measured on. And if what you're being measured on is your individual task completion, right? I don't care if I hear from Wayne on a team meeting as long as his report is done Friday as promised. Right. Wayne is going to focus on getting his report done on Friday as promised. Mm -hmm. So one thing is that we tend to get really super siloed. And it's really easy to, I'm just going to focus on my work. And, you know, if Alice is sending out SOS emails, not my problem. I'm going to do this because I want to make sure my boss knows I'm working and doing my job. The second thing, and this goes to what we were talking before about taking one for the team, is that, yeah, people who work from home get more done. They also work longer hours. I would agree with that. Than people who work in the office. Your commute is 30 seconds. You know, you're still in your jammies and you're answering email and responding to voicemails and doing stuff. And then, you know, yeah, it's after dinner. Oh, look, somebody emailed me. I'll just send them a quick message. No. And before you know it, your time has slipped away from you. Mm -hmm. This is actually a huge issue for people with hourly folks who work from home. Because how do you monitor that and how do you track that without being that guy who's monitoring keystrokes and log on times and, you know, this very kind of fascist approach to time management? You know, what just raced across my mind is, you know, how I have those Fitbits where they track how many steps you take per day. Yeah. You, you, I would think that for the remote worker, it would be great to have some type of application. Somebody's probably going to create one tomorrow now if, if this is a good idea. Um, but that, that they could actually use not only for their benefit, but to tell their boss, look, I'm actually doing more than you think I am. What are your thoughts on that? It's about two steps away from the implant, which some boss somewhere would love to have happen. Oh, so I shouldn't um, have said that. <laughs> it's, it's, I get really nervous because what happens when you do that is you are tracking activity yeah, and point. not output. Right. Yeah. And that, that really should be what it's about. Uh, the output. I mean, I'll give you an example. If I'm, I do a lot of writing as part of my work, right? Mm -hmm. And I can sit at my desk and stare at that blank piece of paper and nothing's happening, right? Or I can get up and go for a walk and noodle stuff and think about it and come back and sit down and in 20 minutes it's done. Mm -hmm. One of those sitting in my chair staring at a blank screen is considered working. The okay. other one is not. I've left the house. I'm nowhere near my computer. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And yet, I'm actually doing productive work. I'm thinking about what I'm doing. I'm right, 
But if I'm being measured by sit your butt in the chair and, you know, if you're not logged on, you're not working and we will come down on you like a ton of bricks, mm -hmm. I am not being effectively managed. Right. That, that's, that's, uh, well, then let me retract that idea and uh, let's get back. Probably to a good idea before somebody hears this. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the, and I was in a situation where, when I finally had the, what I felt the flexibility to make all the decisions on my own and not worry about what the people above me thought, um, that's when I said to, the, to my team, I said, look, here's the deal. You guys are all very bright. You're, I'm very confident in your abilities. And I don't care if you work two hours or 20 hours. You know what your job is. Um, you don't need me to, to look over your shoulder. And as long as you get the task done, I am not going to bother you. And, and I got to tell you, that was uh, one of my most enjoyable jobs. And in the Army, it's called a command. And, and that's the, the, the particular position I'm talking about. Absolutely. And that, that makes sense. Now, we do have the added problem when you're working remotely of things like time zones. Right. Right. There are times when, you know, the people on the East Coast and the people on the West Coast, there's actually about four or five hours a day when everybody's there together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you need coverage for the customer, if you need to be able to respond to customer, you know, you do have to start saying, hey, no, somebody needs to be at their desk at this time because we need somebody who can respond. You know, it becomes a complicating factor. Yeah, I had that experience in the in the late 90s where we were doing uh, video teleconferences uh, with Hawaii and Europe and Washington, D.C., and it was, there was only, a, there were only a couple of times that were good times for everybody to be involved. And it was an inconvenience to one party or another. And you try to rotate and switch that um, so that not everybody got inconvenienced all the time. But those were the times where instead of you had, uh, you had to have a, what is it? Synchronous communication versus mm -hmm. asynchronous. And, uh, and so I had that experience and it was, uh, but not as often as, as obviously you have. Uh, most of mine was direct and all people on the same team in the same time zone. So, um, all right, well, we're almost upon our break, and I just want to tell everybody that this has gone fast. Uh, Wayne, thanks for all your great comments and feedback. Um, you're listening to your Evolving Leadership Journey with yours truly, Tom Crea, and today's guest has been Wayne. We're going to have these sessions and these types of sessions every week. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking to Leora Russi about re change resilience. And with that said, um, Let's go to break, and hopefully we'll have a question or two. And, um, and I look forward to when we get back, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about relationships and communication and why they're so important to leaders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention, then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others, they develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. 
Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to tom at blackhawkspeaks.com. Now, back to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Wow, Wayne, my commercial ad uh, talks about something in your book. Uh, What can I say? Great minds think alike. And specifically what I'm talking about is the value that I place on the golden rule. And I'd like you to talk about in your book something you call the golden suggestion. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all variations on a theme, and it's not like I'm, this is a wildly original thought, but one of the challenges uh, that leaders have, of course, is we want to treat people fairly. We want to treat them equally, and the kind of standard for that is treat others as you wish to be treated. Every religious, philosophical school essentially says the same thing. There's some right. variation of treat others the way you want to be treated, and you're probably right. And in the big picture, that's true. But when you get to the details, what works for one person may not work for somebody else. And if you treat every... So the, the golden suggestion is essentially treat people the way they want to be treated. Right. And, and I'll give you an example of something really common in remote leadership. Kevin has a dozen people on his team scattered around the country, and he's got a very good friend of mine who is totally self-contained, a little antisocial. Uh, you know, he has regularly scheduled calls with Kevin, and they never communicate in between unless something comes up, right? Wayne, on the other hand, is a little needier than that. Mm -hmm. And so every morning, as soon as I'm functional, I send Kevin a message and I say, hey, I'm I'm functional, good morning, anything I need to know. Four mornings out of five, he says, no, it's all good, what are you working on today? I tell him and that's the end of our communication. But I feel connected, I don't feel like I'm working in a vacuum. So taking that 30 seconds to talk Wayne off the ledge is a valuable investment of Kevin's time, whereas the other party does not need that. 
Exactly. And I think that uh, this is exactly where I want to go with building relationships and communication and how remote leaders um, need to understand this about their workers. And it's really, really important. Uh, but first, let me get back to your bio- biography where you said uh, um, communication was something very important to you. You spent the last 20 years on it. You're obsessed mm-hmm. with it. Why is communication so important to you? And, and what are the responsibilities for leaders for communicating and maintaining these relationships you're talking about? Wow. Uh, that's a big old question. Um, All right. Well, take your time. <laughs> everything is held together. Everything in life is held together by the way we communicate with each other and the way that we build relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings being human beings, right? <laughs> we're all, we're all different. And we, you know, our, everybody's Maslow's hierarchy is a little bit different and we right. all uh, need different things, but we build relationships through communication. I learn, oh, if I'm going to work with Tom, I need to do this. If I'm going to work with Kevin, I need to work differently. And you adjust accordingly and you do what you need to do. But communication is really critical because, and especially in the workplace, one of the reasons I got into this business is I saw really, really smart people, engineers, analysts, really, really smart people who weren't getting promoted, weren't finding themselves in leadership positions, weren't getting their projects funded, whatever, even though they had these great ideas and, and they had the right answers. And the reason was they couldn't take what was in their head and, and, and convince, influence, uh, engage with other people effectively. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson. I mean, it seems strange, but I learned that lesson at eight years old and it kind of stuck with me. Some people have never learned that lesson. Right. Now, I'll tell you that that brings to my mind, and you have it in your book as well, the, the importance of assessments, uh, communication styles, the DISC assessment. Um, and I'd love to talk about that if we have time at the end, but I, but I do want to go on to the things that I, I, I think are going to be extremely important for leaders. And you know, with communication, it's about trust. And in your book, you have a quote from Booker T. Washington on building trust. And it says, few things can help an individual more than to place responsibility on them and to let them know that you trust them. So, from a remote leader perspective, what things can you do to build trust? For instance, you talk about intentionality in your trust triangle as an example. Go ahead. Well, first of all, we talk about the trust triangle. (laughs) There are three components uh, to building trust, whether it's in a marriage, whether it is in a friend relationship or in a work relationship you need three things. You need proof of alignment that we're all doing this for the same reason, mm-hmm. right? You need proof of competence that the other person is capable of doing the job that they're expected to do. And that even if they're capable, that they're motivated to do it, right? That they care right. at least as much as I do and they can be left alone for 30 seconds and expect to do that. And the problem with trust is it's different than faith. Uh, faith is the evidence of things unseen, if you want to get all scriptural on it. Mm -hmm. And it is, you just have faith. And if you believe it will happen, trust is actually evidence-based. I get enough evidence of Tom's competence that I come to believe and trust that he is competent. When you work in the office, you see that every day. Right. 
right? Tom shows up to meetings. He never says much in the meetings, but he's got his notebook and he's making lots of notes and he's asking the right questions. And so I have no doubt. And, and by the way, you know, when we get back to the cube farm, Tom is pounding away and, and I know that he's the go-to guy on that particular subject. And I know all that because I see him every day and we've worked together for a million years. And so even though Tom doesn't say much, I, I trust that Tom knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. Jerry, on the other hand, I don't know. He just got hired. He's the new guy. He works remotely. He's a voice on a phone. He's an email signature. So I don't really know him. He never says much. And oh, by the way, he just missed a deadline. So obviously Jerry's an idiot. Mm -hmm. Well, not really, but yeah. I, I well, but that's, but that's the thing, right? Right, right. What am I basing the notion that Jerry is an idiot on? The only evidence that I have at hand. Right. right? I have no evidence that he's good at his job. And so unless I have plenty of faith in Jerry, uh, trust is pretty easily broken. Uh, one of the things that we are discovering with remote work is that teams that work together and then went remote don't have the trust issues because you've got that data bank of uh, experience and whatever that you don't necessarily have when you're putting a team that's entirely remote together. Yeah, yeah. My My wife came from the place where they knew each other first and then went remotely. And so that was an easier transition. But, uh, you know, in the, in the first half an hour, you talked about something that, uh, that I have a question and I made a particular note because you mentioned it. You talked about psychological distance. And so that distance, that separation between the, the, the leader and the worker is, is significant, particularly in the environment where they're starting up this way and they haven't gotten to meet each other or know each other. And, you know, some of the things I want you to talk about or I'd like you to address are, well, how often should you meet face-to-face -face annually? And what are the things you can do as a leader to become more approachable and encourage people more and, and give them constructive feedback that we all need? Sure. Um Okay, in terms of how often should you do it, that's a really hard prescription to write because it depends on a lot of things. Are you a global team? Are you statewide? Are you, you know, do you have the budget to meet quarterly or whatever it is? So, you know, the answer is you should do it as much as you can. And I, I think once a year is kind of a minimum. Uh, to meet in person. There are companies, for example, that are now, because their teams aren't coalescing the way they want to, insisting that, no, we want everybody to come into the office one day a week. It doesn't all have to be the same day. If you want to come in Tuesday, you want to make it Thursdays, whatever it is. But, you know, we want you to come in once a week just to kind of fly the flag and, and see people and maintain those connections. So it's hard to say thou shalt do whatever it is you're going to do. Okay. So if they're global teams, I'm guessing there's a, at least a prescription to, to have a video teleconference type of. Ah, see now, now you're getting somewhere, which is okay. This is the ideal situation, right? Ideally we would meet together all the time and it would be great and we'd get to know each other and we'd bond and. We'd... Okay. That's not possible. What's the next best thing? How do we mitigate the challenges of distance and time zones and all of these things? 
well, I can't sit face to face with you across the desk and have a cup of coffee, but we can get on Zoom or WebEx or Microsoft Teams or whatever your tool of choice is and use webcams. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, you can use the telephone. If that doesn't work, you've got chat and IM and email. So we've got all of these tools at our disposal. What we need to do is be mindful about which ones help build relationships and which ones don't and use the right tools for the right job. You were talking before the break about synchronous and asynchronous communication. Right. If what you're trying to do is build relationships and build connections and like that, synchronous communication is what you want to do. And let's face it, you and I talking on a Zoom call like we are right now, I can see your eyebrows just went up because I said something I know is going to trigger a future question. Uh, and you're reading you my body that language. Out of me, right? <laughs> you're looking at my body language and, and, you know, we're communicating pretty well. Um, and for the listeners, I, it was important for me to have this face-to-face -face while we were talking so that I could read you as well. And so keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, but that's, but that's the thing, right? We could do this on the phone. Right. For Not the audience, this is, this is going to be an auditory experience. The fact that you and I can see each other is irrelevant to the audience, except it's not because we're communicating and having a much richer and deeper conversation is the result of the fact that we can see each other. We made the conscious decision to use video because it's going to make this a better conversation. Exactly. And, and that's, and I'm glad we're doing it. And uh, I wanted to, to also go back to something else you said about um, something that's important to me. We were talking about those relationships and, and having that richer communication. And, and my belief is uh, uh, it's about building bridges. And, you know, I learned this story from my mother and she heard it from, uh, she went to some session. I forgot what it was, but, but the point was, is that in building any relationship and for the audience, I'm actually putting my fingers together and, and clasping my fingers together like you would, uh, anyway, in prayer or something like that. But the, the point is, is that if you're going to build a bridge, you can't go into the relationship with a 50-50 attitude or that bridge will never form. And so in order to make the bridge form, because we all make mistakes, we're all human. And if you do that, the, the bridge will just collapse. So in order to make that happen, you have to have overlap. And, and I always say to leaders that you need to be you need to be the one to initiate. You have to go the extra effort, the 75% to get them to come to you. And, and, and I'm talking this especially for trying to, to bring that remote worker into the fold. I think it's important. I wanted you to talk on that and, and to just share how important it is to have those sessions with your remote workers. Well, it's, it's critical that you have those sessions. Now, how you have those sessions, how frequently you have those conversations and things like that, are, is going to vary uh, based on a number of factors. But essentially, there's two things that you said. One is you got to take the responsibility. I call it the 51% rule where, you know, you are responsible. It's not 50-50. You are responsible as a leader, whether you have the title or not, right. for more than half of that. I agree. Right. The second thing is one of the words that comes up in our research that we didn't really expect. The most important thing that managers expect from employees, and employees expect it from managers, but it's a little less brazenly stated, is proactivity. 
you need to be proactive about communication. If you have the sense that something is wrong, if you have, if you pick up a vibe that somebody might be working on something that isn't the same priority as yours, if you have the sense that you got to reach out and deal with it. One of the challenges for remote workers is I don't want to look stupid. If I look like I'm not self-contained, they might take away the right to work from home. And once people have the ability to work from home, they do not give that up very willingly. Um, so I have a question or I'm not entirely sure this is what I should be doing, but I don't want to reach out to my boss and ask because I might look silly. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And there is a tendency to dig oneself into very deep holes when one works remotely. So as a leader, you need to do two things. One is you need to make it safe for people to raise their hand and say, hey, I have a question or let me ask you something or let me check my assumptions. Mm -hmm. You need to make it safe to do that. And you need to be proactive about reaching out and going, you know, what are you working on this morning? Right. And it's not a checkup, you know, what are you working on this morning? It's, what are you working on? Tell me what's going on so that I can help you get your priorities straight. So I can help you be working on the right things. I can, maybe while we're talking, you ask that question that you might not make the effort to reach out and ask. But since we're talking, mm -hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, and sometimes it's like, you know, the the worker will think these are my top priorities, and if you don't have that conversation, uh, and they're thinking, well, I'm, it's going to take me eight hours just to do this, and if you don't have that conversation where you rack and stack them and say, you know what, as the leader, that is not as important to me. I'm sorry we didn't communicate that well before, but let's move forward. I'd rather you work on these tasks. So um, the, the other thing, though, just to get back to to prove I was listening to you, <laughs> uh, about that building relationships, sure there's an inherent problem when you work remotely, and that is that we tend to treat time as a extremely limited commodity, and so we limit some of that relationship building conversation that happens naturally when you work in the office together. Right. And I'll give you a, a, a couple of simple examples, but if you've ever gotten on a call with a remote employee and, you know, if they were in the office, hey, how you doing? How are the kids? Sit down. You want sugar in your coffee? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Water you have some of that fatic conversation. The conversation with the remote employee starts like, okay, uh, let's make the best use of our time. Let's get down to business. Let's not waste time. Right. And so remote communication tends to become extremely transactional. But those comments about how are the kids and, you know, all of that stuff is what helps build relationships. If I have a meeting in the room, as I'm, people are joining the conference room, hey, you know, sorry about your Raiders last night, blah, sure. blah, blah, whatever they, or I see when I go, oh, Tom, oh, man, I, I still owe you that data. Let me send it to you as soon as I get back to the office. There's a lot of that that goes on. If you're on a virtual meeting and nobody talks to each other until the meeting starts, mm -hmm. 
and there is no time for how's everybody doing? Is there anything we need to know? You don't make time because that's wasting time. Um, you don't have that social lubrication is an odd word, but, but the, the, you don't have that social interaction that actually helps us get to know, like, and trust each other. Right now. So that's, that brings up uh, something else that I read where it said, uh, if you're, let's say you're going to coach one of your employees and you schedule an hour. Well, maybe you should schedule 75 minutes with a remote employee to do exactly what you talked about. Is that a good rule of thumb? What do you think? Yeah, it's again, it's about treating people equally, not treating them the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, right. I love that. It's a Blanchard quote, too, for those who've read The One Minute Manager, but go ahead. Well, no, but he, here's the thing. If I am coaching you in the office, what do I do? I'll take you, I'll take you into my office, or I'll take you into a conference room. We're away from distractions. We'll sit, we'll have a couple of minutes of conversation, we'll get down to business, and we'll do what we're doing. And I'm sitting there face to face with you, and we're seeing each other's body language, and it's interactive, and all of that stuff. But when I go to coach my remote employees, yes, I'm still blocking an hour, mm -hmm. but that becomes a true hour, number one, right? right? It starts at nine and ends at 10. Uh, we don't take the time to do that social interaction thing. It doesn't start out nice and relaxed. And oh, by the way, because you're remote, I might schedule that conversation while I'm sitting in the airport waiting for a flight or driving or whatever. So it's strictly by voice. It's, it, it's not as rich. And so sometimes shorter, more frequent communication oh, okay. is a more effective way to work mm -hmm. than trying to do everything all at once. Because if you and I have an hour meeting in the office and 20 minutes later I think of something, I can poke my head in and say, oh yeah, by the way. Or we see each other in the hallway and, and something triggers it, whereas that conversation doesn't happen. Right, right. Right? And if I know I'm only going to talk to you once a week and I have my Tom list and I write this down, I tend to get really focused on making sure my Tom list gets taken care of and this, oh, by the way stuff maybe doesn't happen. Or there are things that I would normally talk to you about but it's not on the Tom list and this is more important. So I don't get to ask those questions or make those suggestions. Exactly. Well, look, this hour has been flying by again. I want to thank you for taking the time. I think we have time for two more questions. And so let's say you're the remote leader and the rest of your team is back at the office. You mentioned it. So what if the leader is the one who's working remotely? Um, you said you mentioned sales. Go ahead. Well, that's a really common example, right? The sales manager has a huge territory, and so maybe they're in the office. You know, maybe your salespeople are working out of regional offices or whatever. Um, again, when the manager is the one who's working remotely, there are a couple of added things. One is that as a leader, you need to have people that you can bounce ideas off of. You need to have other voices in your head besides your own. Uh, I, I had a manager who I wished would stop flying because that was when she got on an airplane, mm -hmm. she would, um, that's when she would read articles and noodle ideas. And every time she got off the plane, she'd go, you know, I read the most fascinating article, which I knew meant I was going to have a new project to deal with. 
because she'd had hours and hours to just formulate this idea in her head mm -hmm. instead of really early on saying, hey, what do you think about this idea? And I go, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. <laughs> and here's why. Okay. <laughs> right? All right. Well so we need to check our assumptions. The other thing is that, you know, we don't have the luxury of having somebody to talk to. Right. Well, look, we have only a couple minutes left. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about, um, you mentioned in your biography that you've done business throughout the world in four different continents, I believe. So take a minute there, and then I want to finish with what I love most, or one of the quotes I love most in your book. But go ahead, talk about your global work. Well, Remote Leadership Institute, because we work mostly online, the majority of our uh, training and consulting and coaching is done virtually. Time, space, and dimension don't really matter much. Right? Mm -hmm. And so we work a lot with companies in Europe, for example, or APAC, uh, because the challenges are the same. And especially for international companies that all of their leaders share a mindset and share a skill set and, and a habit set around working remotely. So remoteleadershipinstitute.com is kind of the mothership and everything that we do from there uh, is designed to be functional regardless of time zone or geographic location. Um, and those are some of the challenges that we're working with, you know, and, and we help develop those skills, not just the leadership skills, but also uh, working with technology and communicating and using those tools effectively. And so that's our, our purpose is to do that, you know, is to help the individual leader develop those skills that most of us are kind of being tossed into the deep end. Right, right. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, so the, look, this has been a, a privilege and pleasure. Um, we only have another minute to go. I would encourage everybody to read The Long Distance Leader, pick up a copy, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. Um, and I want to share with you something that, uh, that really struck me, uh, and that was on page 96. Wayne writes, delegation is something you do for yourself. That is the wrong focus. That's extremely important for leaders and especially servant leaders. Delegation is not about something you do for you. It's about empowering other people and making them better persons. And that's what we're here for. Um, that, it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, important responsibility we have as leaders. And, and that's a great thing you can do. We, now, we only have a few seconds left. Do you have any final thoughts? Just, it's been an honor to be the first man on your show. I didn't realize that was happening. So I'm perfectly... Uh, Perfectly delighted to talk to your audience, and I'd gladly do it again, Tom. Well, thank you, Wayne. It's been my privilege and pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward next week. It's all about re change resilience with Leo Rossi. Uh, I hope to have you listening again. Um, and this podcast will play, or this radio show will play again at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Download as a podcast later. I'll be following up with more comments. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.